We're continuing on in our series in Acts. If you haven't been with us, we're taking about 10 weeks to make our way through that book. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 and 11. This portion of Acts really kind of shows us the intersection of the church and racial and ethnic barriers and divisions and challenges and and what God says about all that and what God's people are supposed to do in light of all that. I'll pull back the curtain just a little bit and let you know that um, as pastors here in the Capitol Press family, when we preach sermons, one of the things we try to do is give you a reason why you should listen to anything we're about to say, right? We, we try to do that within the first couple of minutes, and sometimes we're more successful than others at doing it. But we don't just presume that you show up here primed and ready to go, ready to listen. But my assumption is this morning when I say, hey, we're going to talk about what it means to be the church and how that intersects with race uh, and ethnic division, and what God says about that. When I highlight that for you, I think that's enough to hopefully help us lean in and, and want to hear what we're about to read, what we're about to listen to. Um, because I'm convinced as as a church in America on the outskirts of D.C. in 2021, we need to hear this. We need to be thinking about these things. What does it mean to be a Christian Uh, What does it mean to engage in a culture, in a context where racial and ethnic uh, divisions are on most of our screens uh, and rife in our city? Um, So I'm going to pray and ask that God would speak to us through his word. Before I do that, I want to kind of give you a heads up that we're going to do something a little different this morning. All right. Now, if you haven't been around uh, church much uh, those are some of the scariest words you can say to a group of Presbyterians, all right, uh, that we're going to do something a little different. Here's, just relax, all right, nobody panic. Uh, I'm going to preach for a little bit, and then I'm going to read the scripture, and then I'm going to preach some more, all right? We're getting a little crazy this morning. Here's why I'm doing that, because the outline for this morning is is context, content, consequences, all right? Like, Um, we're going to look at the context. Where do these chapters fit in the whole story? Then we're going to look at what they say and then what they mean for us. All right. And so I think it'll be helpful for you to have the context uh, before we actually read the passage. I think it'll do all of us some good. All right. Everybody okay with that? No one's running for the doors right now. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Mighty and merciful father, um, would you open our eyes this morning to see your power and your grace? Would you help us to hear this morning uh, with clarity your truth and what it means for our lives corporately and individually? Um, Show us our Savior, Jesus, for we wish to and we desperately need to see him. We ask that you would do all this by your spirit and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get the lay of the land for a few minutes. You know, if you Uh, are to believe what Macbeth says, all of our lives, all of history is really what? Like a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Um, 
But that's not what Christianity would teach us, right? As Christians, we believe that there is purpose and meaning to our lives and to history, and that God is using our lives and history to unfold his plan, to make salvation and life and hope known to the nations. We were talking about this last night at dinner, all right? We were uh, there with my boys, and they were asking some hard questions. You know what? They were saying, hey, hey, Dad, some of this stuff in the Bible is hard to believe. And this is part of that owning your faith kind of thing. So kids, ask hard questions. We welcome hard questions. And I'm like, hey guys, yeah, this is hard stuff to believe. Um, But you know what else is hard to believe? And I said, you know, uh, believing that there's no purpose or meaning, right? Materialism, secularism, you're going to have to hold to the fact that there's no ultimate purpose or meaning outside of yourself if you're going to believe that. And so just to be clear, at dinner, we also talk about Super Mario Brothers and swimming and a bunch of other stuff, all right? This just happened to be one conversation, but it touches on what we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about this morning is God's unfolding plan, that he's using his, our lives to, to work out his purposes, all right? And we see that in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 10 and 11, but if we zoom out a little bit and we think about Acts chapter 1 and where we start out, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his guys, he gives them the script and he says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Like that's how this is going to go down. Right? So Acts 1 through 4 is all the churches growing in Jerusalem. You know, numbers are being added to their number, numbers are being added to them daily. It's growing, it's blowing up, right? Um, Acts chapter 5, persecution hits, right? Like the hammer is dropped, authorities come against the church in a real significant way. Acts chapter 7, Stephen is martyred, right? And then Acts chapter 8, beginning of Acts chapter 8, the church is scattered. Right, it, 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 it explodes out of Jerusalem to where? Judea and Samaria. Imagine that. Just like Jesus said, right? We go nowhere by accident, okay? And so the church explodes into Judea and Samaria. And I love in Acts chapter 8 that we see um, the gospel goes to the Samaritans, right? These outcasts, uh, ethnically mixed group, uh, partly Jew, partly Gentile. The gospel goes there. They believe and they, they're folded in. The gospel starts exploding there. Acts chapter 8, we also see, um, you know, this African royal official, comes to understand the gospel, right? This Ethiopian now is folded into the family of faith. Last week, we looked at uh, Saul, right? And his conversion, Saul, this guy from modern day Turkey. Things are going according to plan. All right, just like Jesus said in Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, things are going according to plan. And just so that we're all clear, the plan goes way back. The promise goes way back before Acts 1.8, right? Even in the garden, The design was for the whole earth, right? Abraham was told you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, right? The temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jonah was a picture of someone sent to the nations in Nineveh. The Psalms say things like this. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. All right, so the plan is unfolding. And then we get to Acts chapter 10 and 11. It's interesting to note when we come to Acts chapter 10 and 11, Luke writes more about what happens here than any other story in Acts, all right? Like he spills more ink on the scroll when he's writing about what went down here than anywhere else in Acts. 77 verses in our English Bible, he, he kind of spells out for us. Um, he tells it twice, actually, right? Like he tells what happened and then he recounts um, Peter recalling what happened. 
right? So through this repetition and through this length, um, Luke is really wanting to make sure that you're picking up what he's putting down. All right, so we want to make sure that we really get what's going on here. So with that, we're going to go to the scriptures now and read. See, you guys did all right. I'm proud of you. Um, we're going to read Acts 11, 1 through uh, 18. You know, like I said, we're looking at Acts 10 and 11. At the beginning of Acts 11 is where Peter recounts everything that happened in uh, chapter 10. So pick up with me now and let's read uh, Acts chapter 11. It'll be on the screen. You can read it in your Bible or on your phone. Hear now the word of God. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, uh, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Remember back to our baptisms. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fall on the, fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so all this has gone down. Peter's made his way back to the church there in Jerusalem. And uh, some of the members of the church have a few questions they'd like to ask, right? And that's to put it nicely. They want to they say, well, now what went down here? And so he basically uh, unfolds it for them. News travels fast. Somehow, even without social media or, uh, or cable news, they find out that all of this went down. And so Peter walks them through it. He says, listen, I was in the city of Joppa, right? This coastal city. I was waiting for my kosher lunch, all right? And then I fell into a trance and all of a sudden I see this sheet come down and there are all these animals, birds, creepy things. And all of a sudden I hear a voice saying, hey, rise and eat, Peter. Rise, kill and eat. And I just love Peter, right? Peter continues to be Peter. Because what does he say? Peter sees a vision from heaven. Here's a voice from heaven giving him clear instruction. And what does he say? By no means, right? Not any like, 
um, hey, can we talk about this? Or like, I have a few questions, but like, no. Like God has to have the same conversation with him three times. Some of us are in a certain life stage where we know what that's like, right? Um, But what's God doing here? What's this all about? God is engaging with Peter and he's using an object lesson. All right, and he's using an object lesson uh, about food that he's going to use to point to people. All right, because hey, Peter went to Sunday school. He's a good Jew. All right, um, he knows Leviticus 11. He knows all of these dietary laws, and so that's what's tripping him up right here. He's confused. Like, wait a second, why, am I really supposed to eat that stuff? I don't think so. And what God is up to right here is showing him, hey, um, Peter, those dietary laws really weren't just creating a. a an ethnic group of picky eaters, all right? Those dietary laws were to show that you are a people set apart, all right? That, that you eat differently and believe differently and live differently because of your relationship with me. That's what those dietary laws were, and they served a temporary purpose to point to this reality of clean versus unclean and the reality that really we're unclean and we need to be made clean. But those were temporary because... A savior has come. Um, you see, they battled too. Uh, they got things sideways because they're like us, and, and in their self righteousness, they made these outward things, these outward appearances, these outward dietary laws. They made them a means of um, self righteousness, right? Of justifying who they were and building themselves up, uh, because we as people have a tendency to do that. But God says to Peter, he's making it clear to Peter, because a Savior has come who makes all clean who come to him, regardless of uh, ethnicity or race or tribe, those, those temporary dietary restrictions have served their purpose and they're done. Right? That's what's happening in this vision. Uh, what's happening in this vision is God is correcting Peter's misunderstanding that Peter thought, okay, yeah, God cares about the nations. And what he's going to do is he's going to make the nations culturally Hebrew, culturally Jewish. And that's how he's going to bring them into his kingdom. And God's saying, no, these cultures can come to me as they are if they will come through Christ. All right. They don't need to adopt our culture. They adopt our Christ. They follow him. They trust in him. So that's what's going on with this. Now, if I'm you, I'm saying, okay, yeah, Yancey, but like, how do we know it's about people and not really just about food? Like, where do we get that from? Well, what happens immediately after the sheet's drawn back up into heaven, right? There's, there's a knock at the door, and there's three men, three Gentiles show up at Peter's door. Peter's got to be thinking like, man, could this day get any stranger, right? Like, what is going on? And the three guys are like, hey, um, there's... Uh, a guy back in Caesarea, he had a vision. We're supposed to come get you, and you need to go back with us now and meet with him. And we're told that Peter was told that this was going to happen, and Cornelius got the vision, and that's why he sent these guys. Um, and so what does Peter do? He looks around at six other guys and points to them, and he's like, hey, you guys are going with me, probably because I'm going to need some witnesses to whatever's about to go down here. So we're going to, you know... Google Maps says it's about a 12 and a half hour walk up the coast, you know, to Caesarea. So they make their way up there uh, to meet with the centurion, right? This Roman officer who's over like three or 600 guys, he's had a vision and, and, and Peter goes to meet with him. 
What do we know about Cornelius? We're told that he's a good man, right? He was uh, well thought of. He was a religious man. He feared God, but he wasn't a redeemed man. He wasn't a man who had tasted of God's grace. And so what does Peter do? He explains the grace of God and who Christ is. Let me commend you this afternoon to go back and read Peter's sermon in chapter 10. But he basically unfolds the gospel for Cornelius to help him see, uh, this is where you find salvation, in Christ and Christ alone. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And so he explains all this uh, to Cornelius. He's there. Cornelius, his household, they all believe the Holy Spirit comes. And so that's what he's telling to the church there in Jerusalem. And you notice what happens. Everyone falls silent, all right? Again, Presbyterians would have been very comfortable there. Everyone falls silent, and then they glorify God and say, listen, the gospel, salvation is for the Gentiles too. How incredible is that? So if we looked at the context, God's unfolding plan. If we've seen the content, kind of what's behind what's going on in these verses, we can't stop there. We have to ask, okay, well, what does it mean for God's people? What does it mean for us today, 2021, Fairfax? How do we put this into practice? How do we apply this to our lives? Um, I want two consequences for you this morning uh, that flow out of two conversions that we see here. Two consequences that flow out of two conversions. Um, The first conversion, Cornelius, that we see, um, Friends, I'm convinced that our city, um, our church, our country, we need to be clear. People need to understand what it means to be a Christian, right? And how do you become a Christian? I wonder, what if you just ask that question? Maybe to your neighbor in Mosby Woods, maybe to your coworkers at FCPS or down in the district. What if you just ask them the question, hey, what do you think it means to be a Christian? Like, what does it take to become a Christian? I would imagine, imagine you would get all kinds of different answers. Right? But I, I would also imagine very few of them would involve the word grace. Right? That it means uh, trusting in, hoping in, in the grace of Christ alone. Hey, I would love for you to prove me wrong. All right, please have all these conversations and come back and prove me wrong. That everybody knew it was all about grace all the time. I don't think that's what you'll find. And if... This is just my subtle way to get you to talk to people about Jesus. Um, Cornelius comes to understand, hey, you're a religious man. You're a good man. You've given to the church, right? You're the kind of guy that donated uh, pack and plays, right? You signed up the, the, the pack and play drive at the church in Jerusalem. You gave to it, all right? You showed up at church on the icy morning at 9 a.m. But it's not outward works that brings us salvation, It's the grace of Jesus that changes us from the inside out. And even though uh, Cornelius had some outward appearance of religion, that's not sufficient to stand before a holy God. We need the grace of Christ to change us. Listen to how um, Peter puts it in his sermon here. He says this, Jesus had to be put to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, and to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's where we find salvation. And and for some of us, the, the consequence, the application for us this morning is 
We need to make that decision. We need to trust in Christ. We need to place our hope in Him. And, and as a church, that's, what we, that, that's our main aim. Capital Press Fairfax is all about making sure people know the grace of Christ that changes everything. So that's the first conversion, first consequence. Second conversion. Again, some of you at this point should be saying, Yancey, what are you talking about a second conversion? Like, what are you, what are you getting at? Um, I'm agreeing with a guy named John Stott, who uh, is a pastor over in the UK, was a pastor. And um, he says that, hey, Luke's um, primary focus in, in these chapters is not the conversion of Cornelius, but the conversion of Peter. Right? It's primarily about his cross-cultural conversion. Peter was a follower of Christ already, a disciple, an apostle of Christ, boldly proclaiming the gospel. But God uses this experience to convert him to his cross-cultural mission. To, um, he converts the way that he sees other people groups, other ethnicities, other races. That's what this conversion is here. And I think it would behoove us to ask ourselves, hey, as individuals, can we point to a time? Are we, are we aware of the fact that we've been converted to that as well? Like, does what God says and how he loves dictate how we treat others? It's interesting. Peter has, if you look back at this sermon, he starts a sermon with uh, Cornelius this way. I understand now that God doesn't show partiality. Right, that his plan is for all the nations to come to him without distinction through Christ. Friends, do we show partiality? Right, do we uh, either positively or negatively, do we give uh, um, you know, kind of positive attention to or do we neglect others because of um, their race, because of their political persuasion, uh, because of their financial status? Those are hard questions that we should ask ourselves. We should also ask ourselves as a church, do, like, do we have preferences? Do we have practices or programs in the life of our church? Maybe that even unintentionally show preference or partiality to certain ethnic groups, certain people groups, so that when others walk in, they just don't feel comfortable. They automatically think, I'm an outcast here because of what's being said or what's being done. I don't fit here uh, racially, ethnically, politically. Um, may that never be. All right. Our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, is focusing on this and has focused on this. Our church is focusing on this. Uh, in November, our session, which is the word for our church leadership structure, our session formed a working committee to say, hey, we're going to look at this issue of racial and ethnic reconciliation, to, to wrestle with it at a church, to make sure we're honoring God. Let me just read a few of the things that uh, this group is working on. All right. Um, they're working on uh, assessing our ongoing racial and ethnic reconciliations as, as reconciliation efforts as a church. Um, this committee is also going to be recommending actions in line with our denomination study committee on this topic. Um, this committee is going to help prepare an educational plan for a biblical understanding of, of reconciliation and cross-cultural ministry. They're going to help us identify helpful resources, and then they're going to be praying for the work of racial and ethnic reconciliation, cross-cultural ministry, in our church family. All right, so individually and corporately, we need to be wrestling with this. How do we treat others differently? Do we view them through God's eyes? Um, or do we adopt the, the partiality of our culture and our context? I'll finish with this verse. 
Uh, it's at the end of uh, the chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Friends, I love this verse. All right. Here's why I love this verse. The church continues to explode all over the place. It happens again here in Antioch. It's kind of like the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, and outsiders don't know how to categorize it, right? Like this, this group of people is growing in number. And they're showing up here in the city in Antioch. And outsiders are just flummoxed. They're like, yeah, we don't know what to call this, right? Because they're not just Jews. And they're not just Gentiles. Actually, there's Asians and Persians and Africans. Like, we don't know what to call this. They're not just rich. They're not just poor. We're going to call them Christians, I guess. Like, literally followers of Christ. Like, that's the only way we can categorize this group of people. Right? And that's my prayer. That's my prayer that um, we would be a gathering we would be a group of people. And when people run across us, whether we're gathered or scattered, in Fairfax or Falls Church or Alexandria, Arlington, wherever they are, when they kind of see our group of people, they have that same kind of response like, hey, we can't really figure out what's going on there. Like they don't fit neatly in any of our categories. There seems to be a diversity among ethnicity or political persuasion, um, econo- socioeconomic. Like we can't figure, best we can tell, they're really into this Jesus guy. Like, that's my prayer for us as a church family. That's our leadership's prayer for us. Uh, we can't say all there is to say about race in America in, in 25 minutes, but we can say this from this passage. We have all that we need to navigate these days because we have the heart of God and his love for every people, tribe, and tongue who put their hope in Jesus. And so we go into the world with that same love, showing that same love in our discourse to our neighbors, online, wherever we're at, we show that same love. We've been equipped with the love of Christ to share with others and to show them where we found this love. This passage shows us that um, since the gospel is for all nations, we're called to be a church that welcomes all nations, all ethnicities here. So let's pray that that would be so. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the picture of the example uh, that you give us of the power of the gospel to bring together people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we pray that would be true among us. Forgive us for the times that we show partiality. Forgive us for the times that we show it intentionally and knowingly. And forgive us for the times that we do it unintentionally. Help us to be a welcoming church. Um, help us to put our preferences our desires uh, behind others. Father, would you glorify your name in and through us? Would you help people around us see your glory through our relationships with each other and our welcome of them? It's in Jesus' name we pray.